Welcome to Annersbrook Church. We hope this message from our lead pastor, Graham Hislop, empowers and encourages you. To hear more from our church, make sure you subscribe or visit our website at annersbrook.co.nz for a service near you. Today, um, we're, we're carrying on with practicing the way. Has anyone found this particularly? I, I was going to say good, but I'll just leave it open. Particularly, <laughs> has it just been particularly something? I, I, yeah, I've really found it to be, John 10.10, 10, Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and may have life abundantly. And I'm thinking now maybe the doctor was slightly sight impaired. Are you? Are you thinking that? Now that I think about it. But Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life abundantly. And we often mistake, you know, the words of Jesus with our own words, ideas, perceptions. You might think, you know, okay, cool. So he's offering us endless rainbows ends, you know. It's like a giant roller coaster of a, just a theme park life, isn't it? And, but I think that if you watched how Jesus lived and you watched the way of Jesus, you would actually be able to discover um, it wasn't a dopamine competition. He wasn't trying to compete with the world. He was offering something that was, Man, it was so appealing to people that even Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee, an expert Pharisee, knocked on Jesus' door in the middle of the night. Why the middle of the night? Probably because he didn't want to be seen by his peers. But he was searching for something deeper, more life-giving, more sustaining. And even in the church, we've sort of mistaken this dopamine thing, you know, this way of Christianity that's just competing for our excitement. And I'm not here to say that God is not exciting. Not here to say that at all. All I'm saying is the way of Jesus is not the way of endless entertainment. But it's actually to come in at a heart level and begin to bring life. All the things Shannon said, healing. But we miss the way when we never practice the way. Okay, so what happens is we end up with this idea that I read the words of Jesus, but the cognitive dissonance or the gap between what I read and what I experience, why the gap? And in all honesty, this has been going on for a couple of years with me, is I realised that actually I was practising, another term would be embodying or doing, and there's a lot of practices Jesus participated in. We've talked about scripture, really clinging to God's, the Father's word. We've talked about prayer. Today, we launch a a couple of week conversation about community and fellowship. That Jesus participated in community and fellowship. This is what it means to walk the path of Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31. And I will show you an even more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but do not have love, I'm just a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, who, would, who doesn't want that? And can fathom all the mysteries and all knowledge, who doesn't want to be able to do that? And if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give my body over to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. For love is patient, kind, doesn't envy, doesn't boast, not proud, doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. Keeps no record of wrongs. Love delights. 
uh, does not delight in evil, sorry, but it delights or rejoices in the truth. It protects, it trusts, love hopes, always perseveres, love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease, and where there's tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when the completeness comes, when, when that day arrives, what is it? what is in part will disappear. And he went on to talk about the fact that these three things remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. So I just want to talk for a bit about the way of love. Peter Scazzaro said, for Jesus, the essence of true spirituality is to love people well. For Jesus, the essence of true spirituality, are you truly a spiritual person? Are you truly a person with the abundant life? For Jesus, it was measured by loving people well. Uh, John 13, 34 says, A new command I give to you, to love those you get along with and have similar personalities to and who never push your buttons and who are generally emotionally healthy people and have boundaries. No, he said to love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. It's probably not what most people think is spirituality. We might think miracles, we might think prophecies. These things, there's lots of scriptures on all of them. But Paul's here reminding us that none of those things actually are the way on their own. They are, they are fruit or results of the way. But the way is something else altogether. It's what? Love. Uh, Bob Goff says that God's goal for all of us is to become love. He said, if you make love your goal, then you can work out all the details later. But what about the difficult people in my life? He says, love difficult people. After all, you are one of them. Is that the essence of Jesus' um, command to us? You know, love one another as I have, in inverted brackets, you know, had to love you, had to put up with you, been a bit tested by you at times, with you on my mind when I died for you. We always seem to prove our love for others on such a higher plane than we think God ever had to love us, but it's not true. God chose to love us, and we should uh, consider the cost that came with that. <laughs> it wasn't easy. Psychologists have grouped the essential ways we relate into two groups. First of all is transactional. They say that the basic essence of relating is, first of all, transactional. That's about what you can do for me. The relationship is held up on the premise of benefit. They include, and rightly so, consumer relationships. Believe it or not, Christians who get up and say we should not have consumer relationships have forgotten about supermarkets. We, we do have consumer relationships. And of those consumer or transactional relationships, the premise of the relationship is basically this, that I'll stay committed to you as long as there's benefit, price, service, experience. And even if I get to know the people who work there, I'm willing to move on simply if the benefit is no longer there anymore. So you committed to the relationship 
as long as there's still best price, best practice, best experience. And that's, guys, that's actually okay. It's, it's actually a functional part of what it means to be human, okay? Psychologists would say, though, whilst that's not a problem in itself, what is a problem is when you didn't know that's the relationship you were in. So you didn't realise you were in a transactional relationship. You thought it was something else. But if not, it's all good because we need haircuts and, and we need stuff. And that's just the way it is. Second type of relationship psychologists says, say there are is, and it's a poor man's term, but relational relationships. The essence of this is we commit to getting along and to expressing mutual affection. Both parties being willing to make sacrifices for the sake of what? Their bond. And for the sake of mutual benefit. So in other words, it's not one-way traffic that I am expecting this service in return for money or goods or whatever. Um, but actually, this is about mutual benefit. Um, we may have started transactionally with the school our kids go to. You know, it's by pure fact they get a good education. But as time goes on, we connect with the people the teachers, the staff, the, 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 the entity itself, and therefore now we've got a relational relationship. And it doesn't need the product or the service any longer um, because it's connected to people. Although there's still a requirement of that mutual bond, we stick around a little bit longer than we would otherwise. Unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, a great number of marriages are this way. They're willing to make sacrifices for mutual benefit. Same with some friendships. We would need to be aware, however, if the status of that relationship shifts without knowing it, if the other party no longer feels there's value, they may decide to forsake the bond. Now, rhetorical question. Which of those two transactional or relational relationships best describes 2022? What, what type of uh, world are we living in? Are they... Is it, is it a sense like I get or I give if? What would it be? There is a good news. There's a third category. But I just need to warn everybody, it is not for the faint-hearted. It is a difficult, awkward type of conversation to be having. You see it beautifully articulated in the ancient book called Ruth. Imagine getting a book named after you. That's pretty cool. And uh, it takes pretty much like 15 minutes or 20 minutes to read. If you're like me, maybe an hour, quite distracted. Ruth herself, it's an Old Testament uh, book, is the subject of an absolutely horrid situation. Her father-in-law, her brother-in-law, and her husband have all died. She's probably in her early 20s, maybe mid-20s, and to make matters worse, the wider landscape of their lives at the time, there's a terrible famine, which is ripping financial pillars in society down. So the difficult scenario for everyone is massive, but for the three widows, Naomi, Ruth, and Orpah, okay, these are dire times. So Naomi, uh, the mother-in-law, uh, gets the daughters-in-law together and says... I want each of you to go back to your mother's home or to your original home. I'm, I'm asking God to show you kindness for the kindness that you showed to our dead husbands. May the Lord grant each of you rest that you'd find home of another husband. And then she carries on with a bit more speech 
and they all are crying. They're all in tears. Um, they're, they're devastated by the situation. Orpah, she kisses her mother-in-law goodbye and leaves. But Ruth, the Bible says, clings to Naomi. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth said, don't tell me to leave you or to turn back. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. And this woman is not an Israelite. She says these words, and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. Now listen to this. Where you are buried, I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. This third category, there is literally no benefit in it for Ruth. In fact, it is all one-way traffic. It is all cost. It is costing her any future marriage, potentially. Definitely she knows what's on the line in terms of motherhood. She's forfeiting any right to ever have a husband or kids, okay? Which, which isn't romantic in, in just romance. It's about survival. And also practicality. And she calls a legal and spiritual ramification if she does not follow through. So she seals her devotion with, may God deal with me if I do not do this. This is what we called covenant love. Not transactional, not just relational, but covenant love. Tim Keller quotes that there is no word or even category for what that means in the 2000s. He says it's a biblical word and idea, watch, mixed with two strengths. It is the ultimate of intimate relationship, not sexual. It's not based on eros love, but on agape. It's a deeper type of intimacy. And also, it's got a legal ramification to it as well. So Tim Keller goes on to say, covenant relationships add into it beyond an intimacy of relationship a layer of law so that if they are ever tempted to break the bond, the law requires them never to. So even if they stop benefiting, they are legally required to follow through. A covenant is a relationship that is a relationship, but it's more loving, more intimate, and also more legally binding and secure than you could ever imagine. By the way, this is exactly the kind of relationship that God would bring new creation back to the earth by means of. What did we lose when man sinned and death entered the world in Genesis? Relationship. All three, in fact. Number one, our intimate and organic relationship with God. Genesis 1 tells us in the good creation, man walked with God intimately, organically, without really even trying. It was just the status, it was just our experience. And it was broken through our own sin, our own humanity. The second relationship humanity lost in that moment was also what? With ourselves. Adam and Eve, after disobeying God and eating the fruit, experienced for the first time ever shame. Man had never been divided within himself until that moment. Many people in our world today live without peace. 
It is the fruit and the byproduct of broken humanity and humans were never designed to experience it. To experience a lack of peace within ourselves is completely foreign to God's original plan. The third relationship that we lost, not only intimate relationship with God, our relationship within ourselves, but the third was with each other. By Genesis 4, you read an absolutely crazy tale of two brothers and the first murder that's ever been recorded. When sin entered, death entered. When death entered, jealousy occurred. Where jealousy is, James tells us, murder and all sorts of evils occur. And Cain killed his brother Abel because he was jealous of his status. So don't be surprised when in the moment of our lives and our experience of relationship, that when God turns up, he wants to redefine all three of these. Why would we be surprised? We have come to terms as Christians that God would, of course, want to redefine our relationship with him. And even okay with the fact he would want to redefine our relationship with ourselves. But by the looks of things, many believers struggle to understand that God also wants and desires for us to learn how to redefine our relationship with one another that we stop murdering each other, stop gossiping, stop slandering, stop jealousy, stop all sorts of other things. So this covenant love, how practical is it? Doesn't sound very practical to me. Sounds quite gnarly. Dear old Ruth. I'm not sure it's, uh, you know, how realistic. Is it, is it good emotional health doing that? I don't know. Jesus said this, he said, Um, this is my body broken for you. Sounds a bit like Ruth, doesn't it? This is my body, Jesus says, broken for you. Do you notice that he never asked you to break your body? Must be covenant love. He said, I will give you, in in Genesis chapter 15, there's a shadow of it when Abraham promised to bless, um, God promised to bless Abraham. Abraham asked God, prove to me that you will bless me. And so God asked him to set up an altar and upon the altar sacrificed animals that were cut in two. And there was going to be a gap through the altar. And um, this to us, when we read it, we're like, well, what on earth is going on? This is just totally foreign. But it wasn't to Abraham. Lords or rulers, powerful people, would make covenant with plebs and under you know, servants all the time. It would be covenant agreements. There'd be agreements going on. So for Abraham, he actually knew what God culturally was asking him to do and was expecting to do what lords or rulers did, which was this. Lord or ruler came in and said, yeah, I'll do this property deal with you or I'll do this, give you work or I'll give you, take your family on or whatever, but we'll make a covenant. And the Lord, the higher power, would make the underpower, the pleb, walk through cut animals, And uh, this is why, because as you walk through the uh, cut animals, as you deal with the Lord or the ruler, um, basically you're saying, if I renege on my contract, I will be cut in pieces as well. So that was uh, a way of signing a contract. We have courts and laws and documents now, fortunately for animals. SPCA said amen. But now, Abraham, God says, I'll prove to you that I'm going to bless you, Abraham. And he says, okay, cool. Make an altar, cut the animals. And he says, but then wait. And to Abraham's total shock, 
in utter amazement. God comes in a form of a cloud. It's actually quite weird. You can read it, a cooking pot and a cloud. And he turns up and before Abraham's eyes, before Abraham as the pleb could ever make the covenant, the cloud goes through the two pieces. And Abraham is speechless. He cannot believe that the Lord, the higher power, has gone through the pieces because this is what it means. I not only will bless you, Abraham, but if you renege on our contract, I will be cut to pieces, says God. And guys, this is a total mirror of what Jesus did when he came to Calvary. He was cut to pieces to say, not only will I forgive you, not only will I lay down my life for you, you understand there are no promotions for Jesus in this, don't you? He says, if you renege on this covenant, a new covenant, I will be cut to pieces. In other words, I'm going to give you free will to choose me or not choose me, but either way, I'm cut. I find this hard to understand because I want to give people when I drive on Nelson Roads a piece of my mind all the time. There are some shocking drivers. Those two lanes around that, round, that waterfall, that, do we even call it a waterfall? What is it, a fountain? Lord, please, a new something there, but... I mean, the, the, the driving, I just want to give people a piece of my mind. I went to a hotel the other day where I was with our location in Wellington. Um, uh, this generator was coming through the wall and I had to do everything to talk myself through the fruit of the Spirit to not give them a piece of my mind. But we broke relationship. We broke covenant. We did it by our own folly. We did it by our own sin. We do it all the time. And Jesus didn't give us a piece of his mind He literally gave us a piece of his heart. He said, I will love you and I will bless you. Even if you're not faithful, even if you renege, I will be cut to pieces. This is covenant love. So it's fair to say that it is difficult for us. I find it really hard to love in this way. I do not find it easy. I don't find it natural. I I think on my good days, I find it a bit more tolerable. I think of it as a good idea. Um, I find that I do want to get even more times than I ought to admit. I find it really tricky to balance all the safe emotional stuff we hear about, and there is truth in it. You know, God is not calling people to be abused, to be mistreated. But again, like loving and being in relationship, the ball is actually in our court. So it's not actually about, you know, enduring abuse. As a pastor, I find it really difficult. I find myself getting hurt all the time. I found it out when I first youth pastored, um, but particularly in the last decade or more, 15, 14 years uh, of senior, more senior ministry. See, when someone comes to our fellowship, our community, I'm not meeting them for the first time and thinking this is going to be a great transaction I just can't wait to see what I get out of this and I'm not even to a degree thinking there'll be mutual affection because I'm wise enough to know that the people coming are on a spiritual journey so they're still trying to work it all out I find myself as a minister thrust into the most unfortunate category there is 
when I meet people who come to church, I find myself saying before they've even asked, yep, I'm in. And the problem with that is when they decide that the person coming, we're not their cup of tea or they don't like our product anymore. It's amazing how Christian community started treating the church, capital C, not Annisbrook, the church, like Noel Lee means. I've heard people, and I don't mind it. I actually don't mind this concept. I want to go to a place with a great youth ministry. I want to go to a place where my kids are going to grow up and hear the word. I don't have a problem with that at all. What I have a problem with is the fact that that is not the sole answer. You see, I know people who have come to our community and our fellowship because they thought their young people would love it, but they hate it. In other words, they didn't find mutual covenant love. What they actually found was, and out of good intention, I want somewhere good for my kids. Nothing wrong with that. But I always think about the dads in particular who think about that. Do you know what would be so much better for our kids, our teenagers and our young adults? Not foolproof, I'll just give a disclaimer. But what would be so much better is rather than standing in a fellowship in a community that I can barely tolerate so that they get a good program, if they saw me practicing covenant love, if they saw me loving other people who maybe I don't even agree with, if they saw me worshipping the God creator, having a visual practice they could follow, let me tell you, that's better than any youth group every day of the week. So, you know, I'm not trying to smack down on people. I'm, I'm honestly not. But I'm just trying to maybe speak a little bit of truth. Because, you know, not only do we treat the church like Noel Lee means, but we treat the world like it as Christians. Like we haven't got an expression of the gospel in action quite like we think we have where it cost us something, where it wasn't for our benefit, where we didn't get tagged in Instagram because of something we did, but for the way of love. Oh, let's finish in prayer, shall we? What's the answer? Walking in the way of love. We've got to be clear, it's walking in the way of Jesus. I see two things happening when we walk in the way of love. I see two things happening that we need to know about before we decide whether we'll even give this a go. I see it in the church. I see it in life. I see it in marriage. I see it in parenting. None of this is simple, by the way. None of this is a formula. This is more like flesh and bones. This is trying to work it out. But I I see, number one, 1 John 4.12, that God's love will be made complete if we walk in the way of love. I'll give you this verse. No one has ever seen God But if we love one another, God lives in us. Listen to the last part. And his love is made complete in us. Okay, where is God's love made complete in us? If we love one another. Consider for a moment the fact that although many of us have been told about the love of God and have even felt the love of God at times, the Bible teaches the fact that God's love will grow in us the most when we're giving that love away. In other words, when I practice covenant love, with one another in the church, in, in relationship, I'm, I'm giving love away. I'm creating a love void, aren't I? For lame, I mean, it's probably not exactly this in the actual practice, but it's a picture. I give you the love of God, maybe even at times sacrificially, even at times without receiving. He said that if we love one another, 
God lives in us. And his love is made complete. I think the church of 2022 has a great challenge ahead of it to consider whether they've got a complete love or an incomplete love, a mature love or an immature love. So what I'm saying to you is the answer in this is to walk in covenant love, guess what we've got to do? Walk in covenant love. In other words, to love, how do we love one another? You just got to go and give it a crack. You just got to try and love someone. You just got to, and it might even be micro love. You know, just, just starting somewhere small because it will, um, it will test us at times. It, it will be a challenge to us. But what I know is the Word of God says is that as you do that, as you create that vacuum where love is being given, His love will be filled. And so maybe we've just got a bit of a um, stagnant love scenario sometimes in our lives. We're not feeling that freshness of God simply because we've never really learned that, we, okay, we've got to learn how to give sacrificially, live the gospel. Two, I see the second thing, and um, maybe the team can come and join me, that not only do we need to love so that God's love may be complete in us, but secondly, we have to learn to love so that God, the gospel, can be seen and heard. Okay? What this means to me is this. How did Ruth's story end? Well, word got out that Ruth legally bound herself to take care of her mother-in-law. Word got out. You read the story. And so it just so happened, as there's often in God, you know, often coming to God for answers and solutions, but I love that God is also a just-so-happened kind of God. On our journey of sacrificial covenant love, it just some things start happening we never saw were going to happen because we were walking a different way, a different path. But for Ruth, she went to collect scraps of a harvest site because it's a famine. And she just so happens to meet a man who, to take a long story, make it medium length, marries her, rescues the whole family, purchases the land back for them, and even gives Ruth a child. Did Ruth sign a contract on the day saying, Naomi, I'm going to stick by with you, you, but here's what I need in return? No, she didn't. She was practicing Matthew 6.33. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added. You tried trying to add all these things to your life. You will, you, it's just a losing battle. It's not possible. But if you try seeking the kingdom of God, what is that? The rule and the reign of Jesus, the king of the kingdom, to seek his heart, to know his heart. The promise, not my guarantee to you, the promises and all these things shall be added unto you. And Boaz is his name. And Boaz actually stated this, I heard of your loyal love to Naomi even before he saw her picking in the field. So John 13, 35 to finish, by this everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. I, I really think it's time prophetically for the church to start loving on a whole nother level because without it, I'm never going to be formed into the image of Christ. I'm never actually going to mature. My character is going to stay dwarfed. Believers today, we've got to move beyond transactional. 
It's dangerous. Beyond even just relational, even more dangerous. And we need to start loving one another. What? Just as Christ loved us. Forgiving people when they wrong you. Giving them the benefit of the doubt. Can I just talk to parents with kids at the moment who are wayward, who are prodigals? Ooh, it's hard, eh? It's been really like over the top. Accepting. Over the top. Generous. I walked into church this morning and I heard a story about a man who walked the way of his love. And he sacrificed a certain career path. And he's right in the middle of it, actually, for his family. Even though that career path probably is dream. He realised he had a better dream. And it was the people in his life. And in the kingdom, in the world, that's the end of the story. And it's got a little bit of disappointment. It's got a little bit of bitterness. And it's got a little bit of um, awfulness. But in the kingdom, when you sacrificially love, it's a giant doorway and gateway. And through that place, there's a Boaz waiting. There's a miracle right there. You're all byproducts. But let me show you a better way. It's a way of love. God help us to do it because I have no idea. I know I have no idea how to love even my family when they really leave every light switch on in the house. I've, I've quoted the last month, I took the power bill out. I did. And I said, guys, I want you to show you this. And they all gasped. And Rebecca kind of like rolled her eyes. She was just waiting for the speech. Yeah, we've got boundaries and yeah, we've got agreements. But at the heart of the gospel, if you renege, I will be cut to pieces. I will not cut you. I will be cut to pieces. So as a pastor, I've had many people reject me, say bad things about me, tell utter lies about me, actually. I've had one person, I remember one person say, the Holy Spirit is not working in your life when you preach. I thought, have a good week, you too. You know? But I'm, will, I'm willing, it's hard for me, but I'm willing to be cut for, to pieces because fellowship and community is the only way and it's the practicing this way. So good luck this week. <laughs> Should we just finish by praying? Lord, um, it's a great speech, but I do not know how to do this without you. We, we don't have that kind of love. We kill our brothers. We lose our way. We just come before you, Lord, as a church in this community, a church with relationships already, even in our own homes, our own families, maybe in our own workplaces. Jesus, you called us to love one another as you have loved us. And I want to say this, Lord, it doesn't sound like I have much faith, but I just want to pray this publicly. I have no idea how we're going to do that in a world like this. But I know that you do. Come, Jesus. Come fill us with your love. Come fill us. Help us to be your people, Lord.
Help us to be covenant people. Help us to see the world around us. Help us to love it. Remove the hate and jealousy from our hearts. Remove the discord. Remove the bitterness. Let us walk the way of love. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you're wondering what the next step in your faith journey looks like, please get in touch with us. Email us at info at or visit our website 